wasn't looking. I do want to reiterate how important it is to share that Facebook post to get the uh, word out to many people to come and celebrate Christmas together. And I also want to make it clear that we are having fellowship time at 9 o'clock in the morning next Sunday. So at 9 o'clock, come and fellowship and enjoy the community of the saints. So let's just turn to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for Jesus Christ. We're so grateful that you have fulfilled every promise that you've made, that you have brought forth your kingdom into this world through the birth of your son. And Lord, we are so thankful, Lord, that we can experience you today. Open up our eyes, open up our ears, open up our hearts to receive you this morning anew. We're hungry and thirsty for you, Jesus. Amen. The title of today's message is Reinvention. If you look that word up in the dictionary, you won't find it, and that's okay. But we are here to celebrate the advent of Jesus Christ, and really, it's a bit of a misnomer. We're also celebrating it again next week. Because Advent means to come, the arrival. It is the arrival of the King, the arrival of the Messiah. It is the arrival of the kingdom of God. And that is what we are celebrating here this morning. As a matter of fact, it is so important that we don't just celebrate it on one day. It's something that we live in the reality of it every day. But we want to take a special time towards the end of the year to remember what is the most important thing in every one of our lives, the advent of Jesus Christ. So we're going to read out of the book of Isaiah just one prophecy concerning the advent of Jesus Christ. The book of Isaiah is one of the most incredible prophecies that has so many references to the coming Messiah that when you read the book of Isaiah, it's, it almost seems ridiculous because he saw Jesus so clearly, so far in advance. But in order to really grasp the um, significance of this, we need to know a little bit about the context of Isaiah's life and ministry. He spanned numerous kings in Israel, and we know that he had a real encounter with the Lord when Uzziah died. Now, Uzziah was probably one of the primary reasons why Isaiah had such a deep revelation of Jesus Christ. Because Uzziah reigned for over 50 years in, Israel, well, in Judah, to be specific. In Judah, 50 years. And during those 50 years, for almost all of them, he was an incredibly God-fearing, righteous king who walked with the Lord. And, and everybody there was excited. The hopes were elevated of what God is doing in the earth. The expectation of what the future holds was, was so elevated because of this king. And things couldn't get any better. And then the king got puffed up with pride and tried to burn incense and was struck with leprosy. And in that moment, Isaiah's world fell apart. His whole world fell apart. All his hopes, all his dreams, all his expectations, right before his eyes. How could this happen? And that big question mark, what's going to take place after Uzziah? And his next son walked with the Lord, walked in the fear of the Lord as well. 
it, I even want to read out of Second Chronicles 27. It says this, And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all his father Uzziah had done, although he did not enter the temple of the Lord. And then the next sentence is so important. But the people acted corruptly. Hear what I'm saying. They had righteous leaders. But they saw that there's still something so far wrong with our culture. Even with righteous leaders walking in the fear of the Lord, the people, the mass of the people were acting corruptly. The culture was sick with sin. And then the next thing you have is Ahaz. They got a king who was so reprobate. He was such a bad king that they didn't even bury him in the tomb of a king. They buried him in the grave of a commoner because he was such an abomination to Israel. Here's, here, I mean, he did so many things. He built altars all over Judah to pagan gods. He caused his children to be sacrificed in pagan worship. When things got really bad and God was handing them over to their enemies, he doubled down on his idolatry and worshipped the other gods of the nations that were plundering them. It says this in Second Chronicles 28, For the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. Now in the time of his distress, Ahaz became... Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord, for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. That gives you a little bit of the context of what creates a prophet like Isaiah, who has such a clear vision of Jesus Christ. Because by the time of Ahaz, he was probably miserable. Let's just be honest, he was miserable. And rightfully so. But he turned to God. He kept his faith. That preaching of the law that he had heard since he was a child, that expounding of scripture, the stories that he was weaned on, as a, as a little boy hearing about all the God of Israel had done and how great he is and how righteous and true and just and faithful. He, ha he was trying to reconcile that with the evil he saw in the world. And something in him was groaning and longing. There's got to be hope. And without a revelation of Jesus Christ, without holy scriptures, without a prophetic revelation, there is no hope for humanity. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's so easy for people without light. It's so easy with, for people without revelation to give way to despair, to hopelessness, to discouragement. It's so easy for them to say, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Just give me some relief. It's so easy for a culture without hope and revelation to even see suicide rates increasing. Isn't that interesting? That, that is what we hear about when we look into the news more and more, isn't it? good friend of mine was working for the VA when the big thing on the news was suicide rates going up in the, among the military, among veterans. 
And, and they were rightfully saying, this is not good. This is a serious problem. And he went and he pulled the research and he says, Bill, I actually did the research. As it turns out, the suicide rates of veterans is going up, but the suicide rates of the culture at large is going up even faster. He said, so in one sense, military training actually prepared people to cope with life even better. The problem is not just a problem with the vets. It's a problem with our whole culture losing hope, losing faith, losing purpose, losing significance, losing what we are celebrating here at church this week and next week, the advent of Jesus Christ. So Isaiah had a vision of Jesus because he was hungry for hope. He was hungry to know, is there any reason to go on? And God fed the hungry, and he will always feed the hungry. He will reveal himself to those who seek him. Those who are without hope, those who are without purpose, those who are in any place of darkness, when you turn to the Lord, he will reveal himself to you. And that is, in a sense, a reinvention. He wants to be re-advented in your life. He wants to reveal himself to you again and, and pour out that hope and that expectation and that passion and that fire that will cause you to shine brighter than a Christmas tree. It's cause you to shine so bright that the world will say, I need to have what you have. That is what we are not just celebrating, but what we are seeking, what we are longing for Christ to be a re-advented in our lives. And the passion that Isaiah had was for the kingdom. You get into his prophecies and he's like, cleanse your hands, do righteously, do justly, walk with God, fear the Lord, repent. That's what it really means, repent. Turn away from hopelessness. Turn away from discouragement. Turn away from the things that rob you of life. Have hope. Have hope. Have faith. Have passion. Dare to believe that God will do what he says he will do. He had that passion. And, and he says this. I, I was just looking at back at the days of Uzziah. Because I did kind of wonder, how did you have such a good king at the beginning? And it says this, Uzziah sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. You see what I'm saying here? That, that Isaiah saw the Lord and he never quit looking. He kept looking at the Lord and looking at the kingdom, not looking at what he saw in the world, not looking at what he saw in culture, but looking with the eyes of faith to what God has promised he would do. And by doing so, he ended up preaching and prophesying things that are so beautiful, not even angels could bring that forth. Things that you could never learn in the school of prophets. Isaiah brought forth because he had eyes that saw the king of glory. And Uzziah, as long as he had a, a priest that had understanding in the visions of God, and he walked with the Lord and feared the Lord, he prospered, and there was light in the world. But as soon as he started to take his eyes away from Jesus things became dark. Do you see the imagery? It's so clear you can't get away from it. 
Fix your eyes upon Jesus and grow radiant. And your faces will never be ashamed. It's like, Lord, if it's you, let me call to me and I'll come out of the boat and walk on the water. Yeah, come on. Come on, Peter. Come on. And he jumps out walking on water. This is awesome. Man, I am walking on water. I'm so cool. Don't you wish you could all be cool like me? You guys are left in the boat, and I'm walking on water. Oops, took my eyes off Jesus, and you began to sink. You might take your eyes off of Jesus because of discouragement, hopelessness, despair. Or maybe you take your eyes off of Jesus just because your head gets puffed up like a giant balloon. It doesn't matter. It's not good. But the goal is to fix our eyes on Jesus and become like him. And he's freeing. And I believe that what God wants to do here with us today is to bring a reinvention in our life. Because we want to get past the point where Advent and Christmas and even Easter are just formalities that we go through in the church year. It, you know... To be honest, there are some people who will only come to church on Christmas, maybe Easter, at weddings, and at funerals. And so there are many people that are in our world today who the next time they end up at church may be their own funeral. Just a thought, right? Just a thought. And the reason why... I think that the churches are declining in America is because we have fallen to dead ritualism. And I don't mean just, you know, the liturgical high churches. It's everywhere. Christianity has become relegated to something of insignificance without value and worth because people are not seeing the Lord. We're not inspired. We're not vibrant. We're not radiant with the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. And the truth is that is not our inheritance. True Christianity is a constant walk with the Lord that becomes brighter and brighter and more beautiful and more wonderful as we become more and more like Him. And that should be the passion in every one of our hearts here this morning. So going through Isaiah 1-10. through 10, this is a, one of the many prophecies in the book of Isaiah about the coming king. I, this is so much hope in a, in a context of discouragement, right? One, verse 1 says this, There shall come forth a rod, ruler, king, a rod from the stump of Jesse. That word stump means a stump that is cut off and can't grow again. It doesn't mean one that's kind of cut off and is meant to grow again. A rod shall come forth from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. By the way, there's still a king in Judah, and he's still a descendant of David. It's just interesting to me that this prophecy is not only a prophecy of the coming Messiah, it's a prophecy of the coming fall of Judah. And one of the things I love about God's Word is that He often sends His Word into your life as a precursor to what you are going to go through. And when you're going through whatever comes into your life, when you look back at God's Word, it will bring you back out. See, right before this chapter, He was talking about God's enemies in Assyria. They're going to be cut off. And they're cut off forever. 
think about really what you're saying here. Here is a line of kings, a human beings who have ascended to the rulership and government of a nation, and that nation is cut off, and that line is cut off. It's absolutely ludicrous to think that that line could arise again from a human perspective. But this is what we see all throughout Scripture is resurrection life is preached throughout the whole Bible that where something has been totally cut off, totally destroyed, ruined, brought to nothing, there is no more hope, period, in the natural realm in that circumstance except for one thing, true heirs of Jesus Christ true heirs of faith. He calls those things that are not as though they are. He raises the dead. He brings the dead to life. He revives. He renews. He restores. And there is nothing impossible for God. And when we read these things, it's got to speak to the depth of our heart and soul that nothing is impossible for God. And, and there's, there are people who often think you know, it's one thing when you suffer trouble because you're, own, you're, because you're righteous, right? You would, some people would dare to expect God to deliver them and save them and rescue them because I am righteous. Although we are now Christians enough to know that we fear even talking like that, right? But think about it. You I mean, you see in the Psalms, you will deliver me because of my righteousness. You know that, that, that when a judge sees my case, I'm righteous and he's not. So there's not, it's not totally unhealthy to know that you're walking right before God. But there's also something of humility that understands it's only by his grace and mercy. Only because of his work in our life. But it's another thing altogether to find yourself in a dark place because of your own sin. It's another thing to find yourself brought to nothing and dead and hopeless and an impossible in your life to break through. There's no hope anymore for you, and you did this to yourself. This is your own fault. This is your own sin, and now you have to lie in the bed that you have made. In everything... In the, in the world will also say that is exactly right. You deserve it. And then Jesus comes and dies on a cross. One of the hardest things for a person to face in life is messing up so bad that you feel that there's no hope for you. And the challenge and crisis of faith is daring to believe that Jesus Paid for it all at the cross and to humble yourself and to receive him and to dare to believe that he loves you that he's inviting you back that he wants to restore he wants to revive he wants to renew he wants to deliver you not because you deserve it not because I deserve it but because he loves us with a love that is stronger than death and that is such a beautiful message of Advent, isn't it? So going on, Isaiah 11, 2 through 5, talking about the Messiah even more. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, 
the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. And he shall judge by the sight of his eyes, or he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of, the, of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. We have here a picture of a, well, first of all, we have a picture of a king who executes righteousness in the earth. And that should be a beautiful hope to anyone. You see, righteousness is beauty. Righteousness is freedom. Righteousness is liberty. When, when people, when you travel around the world and you have to pay a bribe to get out of a country, that's not righteousness. If when you have to pay somebody so that they will give you your driver's license, that's not righteousness. There are so many areas of life that we are suffering under iniquity and people are rightfully groaning and burdened because of it and long for, oh, for a world where things are right and fair and just and true. When we see... Um, human trafficking, when we see the multitude of things that are ailing and troubling society today, something in our soul should be crying out, we need righteous leaders. And it's got to be the cry of the church continually. Give us righteous leaders. Purify. Make every throne holy to God so that people who are servants of righteousness would govern to lift people up rather than to press people down. But one of the things that we see here is it's not done by the power of the flesh. It's done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is a personal spirit. It's not, you see, some people are excited because there's another Star Wars movie coming out. And the Star Wars movies are, yeah, see, you hear all the clapping, people love it. And it's great. It's good to enjoy the things of this world and great to enjoy great stories because we're created in the image of God, but the force is not some impersonal force that does not care about who you are. See, gravity doesn't care about you. Does it? And you, you know, how many of you say, oh, I just love gravity? Gravity is so, I mean, we do love gravity, but you don't say, oh, gravity, I love you. You're so wonderful. You're so good to me. I'm so glad you're in my life, gravity. You don't say that. And gravity doesn't come back and say, oh, I love you so much. You're such a blessing. I care about you. You don't need to worry about anything. I'll keep you, in, well, gravity will keep us, thankfully, but he doesn't care, gra gravity doesn't care about us. But the Holy Spirit does care about us. The Lord does care about us. And what I love, is what we see here, is a picture that leaders can lead in righteousness. There is hope that we can have good leaders because they have a relationship with our Father in heaven. They're not saying, the force be with you. They're saying, the Lord be with you. And they say, and, but really, it's so true. They bow the knee to King Jesus and they say, Lord, I see in you everything I want to be. 
You are love. You are truth. You are mercy. You are goodness. You are grace. You are everything that I want to be. Father, you govern things so well, and I just want people to see your government through me. You see, it's a personal spirit that we need to walk in fellowship and communion with, or we will never be a good leader. And that is why the mission of the church in Christian community, in the, cel in the celebration of Advent is so important because we're not talking about just moral principles. We're not talking just about philosophy. We're, we're not talking about human machinery or an impersonal force be with you, even if it does make you fight, fighter planes, spaceships, awesome. I don't know what you call them. But it's not personal. Jesus is alive. And he's poured out his Holy Spirit, and it's transformational. This is the celebration of Advent. It has come. It is real. It is here. It is now. Going on. Oh, yeah, it's not important. I was going to read some cool quotes, but I'm going to pass it and go on to Isaiah 11, 6 through 9. Going on about the kingdom of God, guess what? As we pointed out earlier, it's not enough to have righteous leaders, is it? You can have, man, if Jesus Christ was president of America right now, we would still go to hell. If the people of America don't walk in the fear of the Lord. So Messiah's government is not just about righteousness and leadership. Listen, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. The young ones shall lie down together. And the, uh, the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There is the true power of Advent. Not just to have a righteous leader, but to transform form all of creation to bring it back into the rule of the creator through the redeemer isn't that awesome it's the power of the gospel to change lives the power of the gospel is to bring people into the knowledge of god not just knowledge about god the knowledge of god like i know my children you know your children you know your friends you know your spouse we have a relationship, we have covenant, we have community, we have communion. We know and love one another. And that knowledge of the Lord will begin to transform all of creation so that everything that is wrong with this world will be healed. There is no more wars because God has taken it out of our hearts. But why do you see wars in Christian nations still? Well, there's lots of reasons. We're still growing mature in Christ. His, that seed that was sown is still growing as it works in every one of our lives individually. When you meet the Lord, praise the Lord, you pass from death to life. You become a new creation, but it doesn't mean you quit being a rascal. 
you grow more and more like Jesus as you walk with him and look to him and worship him and adore him and seek him and celebrate, celebrate life. You see, if I really want to get into what Advent has to be about, it must be about a celebration of life. You know, we were at the Johnson's Life Group and we're going through Mark chapter 6. We've been going through that for probably way too many weeks already. But we were looking at the feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus had sent out his disciples. And they went out healing the sick and casting out devils and preaching the gospel. And they came back, as Roy said, like rock stars. Starting to get maybe a little bit puffed up in their head. But they also came out and came back ragged and tired and worn out. And Jesus said, come, let's get out of here because there's, there's so many people coming that we don't even have time to eat. Let us go and rest. Let's get on a boat, but the people are watching and they get there ahead of Jesus. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, man, we're trying to get away from you. We are tired. We are exhausted. You need to leave. Will you not give my head any peace? No. He's, it says he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He saw the masses of humanity perishing, groaning, being brought to nothing because they did not know the ways of the Lord or have his love down into their heart. And he wants to draw them into his government and kingdom, which is really the knowledge of the Lord. Fellowship with the king. Isn't that beautiful? It's what we are celebrating here. But I, I, we were thinking about it, and it didn't say that Jesus was... You know, he knew he had a moral obligation. No, he was moved with compassion. He wasn't frustrated. He loved to love those who needed loving. Right? And, and then what did he do? He saw they were sheep without a shepherd. It doesn't say then he healed them all. It doesn't say that he cast the devils out of them this time. It says he began to teach them. And he taught them. And he taught them. And he taught them. He taught them so long that the disciples were probably getting frustrated and said, hey, Jesus, there's no food. Why don't you send them away so they can get something to eat? And then we know the rest of that story. But he kept, well, how could you, he teach them so much? I mean, didn't all he have to do is teach them, hey, I'm the Messiah, come follow me? Didn't he just have to teach them, put your faith in me? No, he taught them all the ways and knowledge of God caught them up into the story of the kingdom, the story of who our Father is, what His kingdom is like. I mean, think about somebody who loves their children. They can talk and talk and talk about how wonderful their children are forever. Somebody can talk about their friends or their spouse. When You, re you can talk about your friends. You can talk about the things that you love until, until the sun goes down, people are falling out of buildings and dying and you've got to raise them back to life. Because you talk about the things that you love. And when you love things that you talk about, it infects people with that same love. In Advent, in Christmas, in Christianity, in the kingdom of God, in Christian community, in the church, has to become that infectious again for us to turn the tide of iniquity that is working in our nation right now. Amen? So going on, well, actually, I'll read one, I will read one quote. Talking about the power of the gospel to change lives, John Rawlinson said this, the gospel being so blessed in its effects 
it is plain that it is the duty of all good men to extend the knowledge of it. That's, that's absolutely true. It's a great conviction, but the best way that you extend the knowledge of it is being radically in love with it. You see, without a passion for it, without a hunger for it, it just falls short of the dead religion, doesn't it? Even in Pentecostal charismatic churches. So verse 10, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place will be glorious. And a banner, by the way, has two purposes. One, it's the place that people come to pay homage to a king, and it's a place that soldiers come to receive instructions from a general. Isn't that interesting? But it says the Gentiles will seek the king. What are we living in today? And his resting place shall be glorious. When God, when your life becomes the resting place of God, it is glorious. When your family, when your community, when your nation, when your generation, when your culture becomes the resting place of God, it becomes glorious. We were reading that story of the culture that Isaiah saw around him, where even with a righteous king, things were degenerating because the people were corrupt. And then they got a corrupt leader and everything really went bad. And in those days, all he could do was ask, is there any hope? And when he asked those questions, he looked right through history and well, I think it's a Christmas tree, but we know Christmas rarely represents Jesus in the advent of Jesus and what we're celebrating. And that is what he saw. The king will come. The king will come. The king shall come. It is written. It is written. It is written. But then, in the fullness of time, he came. He came. In history, he came. It wasn't just a fairy tale. It wasn't mythology. It wasn't pie in the sky when you die of vain dead hope. Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, came. But that truth is not enough. It's not what changes the world. Because the dividing question of all humanity through all history is what will you do with this man, Jesus? Will you receive him? Will you worship him? Will you surrender all and follow him? Will, you know, forsaking all others, will you have him to love and to hold and to cherish till death do you part? Well, death will never part because he took care of that. Covenant, relationship. This is the hope of nations. And so we all have, hopefully, many advents in our life. Many advents in our life. One of, one of my first, not first, actually, I had many encounters with the truth of the gospel before he really became my king. You understand what I'm saying? But when that day he became my king, it changed everything. That was a real advent. The celebration of advent that we're doing right now means nothing unless he has become real in your life. He wants to become real. He wants to come and visit you. 
But even that's not enough. Because Advent is not meant to be a one-time experience, but he said, tarry in Jerusalem and you shall receive power when the whole, when not the force, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Personal, relational, communal, community. Advent. And Advent is not just about that either because we are the body of Christ. And Christ will come to you in many and various forms. And he wants to. When we come together and we worship together and celebrate and sing songs and experience his presence, he's coming to us. When we hear the word of God and we get caught up with the vision of Jesus, he's coming to us. When we forgive one another and love one another and show mercy to one another and eat together and spend time together, he's coming to us, having fellowship with us. And he wants to come into this culture once again so that the churches shall be full, not because it's the right thing to do, though it is, but because people are falling madly in love with Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's advent into history. We just read about that. There was the advent into the early church. We got the term martyrs because the witnesses of Jesus Christ witnessed so well they got killed. Got to stop this thing called Christianity. That didn't work. The church kept growing, so then they have a new term, confessors, because the uh, emperor realized, hey, killing Christians only makes them grow more and more and more, so let's just persecute them and torture them and try to get them to recant. So instead of martyrs, they became confessors. They refused to deny Jesus and got the term confessors, and yet they couldn't snuff it out. Do you see that those Christians had something of worth and value in their fellowship with the Lord and one another that was worth confessing even in the face of great troubles. God wants us to have that same kind of love. We're moving towards the final advent, the return of Jesus Christ. He, Christ wants to, re, he wants to advent himself into the nations. But I want to read this. It's all about manifestation. 1 John 3, 8 through 9 says this, He who sins is of the devil. I didn't say it, it's God's word. It doesn't sound really nice, does it? Especially when you go and sin. Oops. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Manifested is, an, is deeply connected to Advent. For this reason, Christ has come to destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born for, by God. Advent is about Jesus destroying the works of the devil in your life. Lord, sign me up. Seriously. He's not saying, oh, you horrible, wretched human being, how could you be so dumb? He's saying, listen, come to me and I will cleanse you. Come to me and I will save you. Come to me and I'll deliver you. Right? I will destroy the works of the devil in your life. I will destroy sin in your life. I will make you love one another as my love is shed abroad into your heart and you discover what kind of father I am. You discover what kind of savior, redeemer, and friend I am. 
all of creation is groaning, waiting for another advent. See, if you connect that word advent to manifest, I say, I'll, I'll put it this way, and I'll close it with this. God wants to a re-advention. A re-advention by being manifested three ways. One, he wants to manifest himself to you. If you don't see Jesus every day, he wants to come and reveal himself to you. Fresh and new, more beautiful, deeper, more glorious. Number two, he wants to be manifested in you. It's not enough to just say, oh, I know Jesus, I love you, Jesus. Which, to be quite honest, when you're doing that, you're going to become like him. You can't stop it. But it's good to actually separate this, even though they're inseparable in one way. He wants to make you like Jesus. Loving, merciful, gracious, kind, compassionate, forgiving, bringing unity rather than division, covering people's faults with love, celebrating life, being fully alive. You see, this is one of the biggest problems in Christianity that makes it dead. That's the wrong thing, brother. That's the wrong thing to do, sister. How could you be so bad and wicked and evil? These wicked people, this is sin, that's sin, that's sin, that's sin, that's sin, that's evil, that's wretched. God have mercy. If God had to wait until I was perfect to use me, or had put it this way, if God had to wait until every, anybody was perfect to use them, we would all perish. Right? It's the truth. And if, you, if things had to be perfect for you to enjoy what is beautiful and what is a reflection of heaven in them, there's not a single TV show or movie or anything you could watch and enjoy. If, if you could not enjoy those things that are imperfect because you celebrate the, the echo of God in them, the echo of truth in them, and cover the other things with mercy and grace, you would become the stereotypical prune Christian. Right? And nobody wants, you know, they always, Christians are no fun. Christians hate the world. Christians hate this. Christians hate that. Christians are miserable, mean, nasty, unhappy people who never smile and are always angry and bitter. Well, yeah. If people are like that, they don't know Jesus. You don't know the Holy Spirit. You don't know the Lord. If you are not in awe and fully alive and loving life, you don't know the Lord as you should condemnatory, isn't that? Maybe, I don't know. But he doesn't want us to live that way. He wants us to be alive. He wants to manifest himself to us, in us, and through us to infect this world, to reinvent himself in this world, to reinvent himself in our lives, to bring victory, to bring breakthrough, and to give our children a world that is not falling apart. And that is our prayer. In Jesus' mighty name. So let's just stand up and pray. I, well, you know what we've been doing lately is we, we will have the prayer team come to the front and pray for people. But I like to take some time because it's really on my heart that God wants to reinvent himself in our lives. And there's something about daring to come and get prayer. You see, do you have to come to get prayer? No, you don't. But I'm telling you, where two or more agree concerning anything, it will be done. There is power in community. There is power in fellowship. There is power 
in humility. Think about what I'm saying. I am hungry for a touch from God. He feeds the hungry. There is, the, it, okay, there may be some judgmentalism in this church. I don't know. There shouldn't be. But to be honest, we're all human beings and we're all Christians and we're all becoming more and more like Jesus. And if somebody wants to be judgmental, they have a problem. They need to repent. But they're also welcome here as well. They have just as much a right to be here as anybody else. Right? And we should be covering everybody's faults in love. So, but we shouldn't be afraid. But we can show people our hunger for God, our hunger for this world, our love for the Lord, our love for one another by praying for one another and receiving prayer. And God is the God of answered prayer. Revelation comes in answer to prayer. Power comes in response to prayer. And I don't know about you, but I'm always wanting more of God. And if you want more of God, you should be up here getting prayer. It's that simple. Man, I don't even care if it's like, uh, today I feel like maybe or maybe not God wants to move. No, there's an opportunity to receive God. And what if he just decides to strike me today with a revelation? Then go for it. Lord, do it. I'm telling you, the Lord can show himself to you in such a profound and powerful way that even if you've been a Christian for 50 years, which I don't know how many of us have been in 50 years in Christianity here, but maybe there's some. But if you've been a Christian for 50 years, well, first raise your hand. Do we even have any? Okay, so we've got some that have been Christians for 50 years, half a century. God could show himself to you today in a manner that he's never shown himself to you before, and you could go away more passionate and excited for Jesus Christ than a brand new babe in Christ. But we've got to dare to believe and hope and expect and to seek. Also, God wants us to have overflowing, abundant life. And I don't mean that because we're some prosperity gospel church. I mean that because it's the truth. We are never going to infect this world with the kingdom of God if we are sour towards life and fearful and lack boldness and lack freedom. So if there is anything in your life that is weighed down, weighed low, robbed, anything, come and get prayer. God wants this celebration of Advent to be a true celebration, not just ritual. And I don't think, I, I don't know really, honestly, but I don't think there's anybody here who hasn't received Jesus Christ. But if they haven't, if you haven't, don't leave today without receiving Jesus. But I can tell you something. There's a world out there that has not received Jesus. What we are offering them in Christ is the best that can be given to them, period. There is no greater gift that you could give for Christmas. There's no greater blessing. There is nothing more valuable. There's no greater treasure than to receive Jesus Christ either for the first time or afresh that could be given at Christmas will invite people to come. Pray for them to come. Pray. Maybe you want to just pray, Lord, touch my family. Let them know you like I know you. And this will be my final litmus test. If you cannot say to this world, I am broken hearted 
and burden because I want the world to know Jesus like I know Jesus. Not because you're puffed up, proud, and arrogant, but because you're so in love with him. Then you need to come. The Holy Spirit works in your heart in such a way that you, you, you feel like, it's, I feel like it's such a tragedy that somebody should live another day without knowing the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And if the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is not that real in your life, then you are being robbed. You are being cheated and you are being stolen from. Don't leave and don't rest in your life until he is precious. As precious as he was to those that we will see next week that went to visit him. Let's bow our heads in prayer and after the prayer let the ministry team come up and come and get prayer. Father in heaven, we just are so thankful for the advent of Jesus Christ. So thankful, Lord, that you want to reinvent us today. You want to visit us, refresh us, renew us, revive us. You want to pour out your Holy Spirit, Lord, that fellowship with you that is so real, so invigorating, so life-giving, God, that we will go out into this world as a light in the darkness, and we will attract, we will gather, we will fish, we will grow, we will multiply, we will reproduce because people are being caught up in a loving, merciful, gracious relationship with you, repenting from their sin because, Lord, they say, I want freedom. I want liberty. I want to be alive. I'm tired of being broken. I'm tired of being brought to nothing. I'm tired of being hopeless and having despair, whether even if it's looking at where our nation is going, looking at our family or looking at our own life. Lord God, today, let there be a coming of the Lord a manifestation of the Lord. Father, I pray that during this Advent you would manifest yourself to us, in us, and through us and reach the nations with this gospel of Jesus Christ. In his mighty name we pray. Amen. With that, church is officially ended, but prayer team, please come to the front.